So you ready for Christmas? I was asking some people in the lobby today, what, is, what does that mean for you, ready for Christmas? Is that all the gifts purchased? Is it the decorations up? Is it, are you ready mentally for Christmas? I know Pastor Jeremy was just mentioning not only that, we're almost at the New Year's. I don't think I'm ready for that. I, I kinda, I'm kind of one of those people that kind of take it one thing at a time, and then once that thing's done, I'm, then I'll pay attention to what's next. But I, one thing about Christmas that's always amazed me is, is how we... We sing the Christmas carols, and a lot of times we just sing a couple of the verses. You know, have you noticed that? Yeah. Some of the verses we know, and then some of them we do not. And what, I, what I've also always been amazed by is, you know, maybe you did this too, but like in high school and college, I was in some choirs where we sang all the verses. And I remember thinking, man, they, they really shoehorned a lot of theology into those verses. Have you ever noticed that? Some of them are so chock full of theology that you look at it and you think, man, if somebody just heard this, they would have the entire gospel story in a song, which was their intention. And, and I don't know if you've realized this, but you know, there, you know words to songs you don't even realize. Have you noticed that? Something, a tune will come on, maybe it's something from your childhood, or maybe recently, or may, maybe, maybe it's even brand new. And you realize, man, I already know the words to this. Our minds kind of do that. They lock into these things. But this song, I wonder if you've actually heard all the verses, first of all. But then also if you understand the words and what the, what the author is really telling us. So I want us to take a look. I'm, we're going to put the words on screen. But this is the, the worship, uh, well, worship, but this is Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So we talked about Emmanuel. What's that mean? What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. That God himself is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now, we know that they were captive to the Romans, but they were also captive to their sin, which is us. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Now, I know some of you are probably wanting me to sing it, right? No, nobody's wanting that. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. But maybe in your mind you're hearing the tune. O come, O come. Thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes, talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, on Sinai's height, which is where they got the Ten Commandments, in ancient times didst give the law, here I did that, didst, in cloud and majesty and awe. You know what that refers to? When they were hearing and getting the Ten Commandments, and then as they went through the wilderness, God was present with them in this cloud that would lead them during the day and then a pillar of fire at night. He was there with them. O come, thou rod of Jesse, talking about David, King David, that Jesse was his father, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell. Does this sound like Christmas still? From depths, did you guys sing this verse with the kids? Okay. From depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory or the grave. This is powerful. This is powerful theology. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what the gospel is all about. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. And we're going to talk more about day spring in a minute, but thine advent here. Now, growing up in the Assemblies of God, I, didn't, I, I had friends in more traditional churches that would talk about Advent, and I had to look it up. I remember the day I looked it up and said, oh, Advent means Jesus coming. 
So when they celebrate the Advent, they're celebrating Christmas. And I'm like, why didn't they say Christmas or Jesus coming? But Advent is a really formal term. So if, if that's the Advent, what's the second Advent? The second coming of Christ, right, which, which we're hoping to see soon. Okay, so, O come thou day spring, come and cheer, our spirits by thine advent here, disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and darks, pardon me, and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home, make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease, and by thyself our king, be thyself our king of peace. Isn't that our prayer? That we'd be done with divisions and we'd be united in Christ. So today I want to take a look at Dayspring. You know the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had no children. They were barren. Zechariah was a priest. And his order of priests would serve in the temple at, a, at probably usually be one time a year. One day a year actually even. Depending on how many priests there were in the rotation. And on one of these days as Zechariah was serving an angel appeared to him. We find out later the angel is the same angel Gabriel that appeared to Mary. And this angel says to him, God has heard your prayers and your wife is going to have a child. Then he goes into detail and he says, this child is going to make way the way of the Lord. And he tells him all these things. And Zechariah says, uh, how can this be? And because of his lack of belief, he's unable to speak for the entire pregnancy of his wife. He comes out and People are wondering, first of all, what took him so long in there? And then they, they're asking him, and he can't tell them. And so he's making motions and kind of explaining, I saw something in there, and something happened, and they don't really understand it. And she does get pregnant. And then as uh, the baby is born, eight days later, they go to dedicate him at the temple. And they, I love how people do this. A lot of families are like this. Like they say, his name's going to be John, John the Baptist, John. And people are saying, but wait a minute, you don't have anybody in your family named John. And so they ask his mom, and so finally they look to Zechariah, who hasn't spoken in nine months, and says, are you good with this? So he writes out the name John, and then he can speak. And when he speaks, he prophesies. Now, prophecy is different in the Old Testament than the New Testament, and then in this this period here. The Spirit would come on somebody, and they would prophesy right then and there. Now prophecy is something that, as a gift, we can all have access to, God God gives gifts to his people, but then it was very unique, and he prophesies. And the first part of his prophecy is about the son John, John the Baptist, and many of it, much of it, we're familiar with it. He's going to be somebody who's going to be set apart, and he's he's going to prophesy. Then he starts to prophesy about Jesus, and here's one of the things he says. Through the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring... From on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. It's, I know I've mentioned this a lot lately, but Christmas is one of those times where we know so much of the story. It's so difficult for us to step back and hear these words for the first time like they were hearing them. And it's so important when you read scripture to understand what it meant to the people who heard it. 
Because they had a way, what, what they heard and what they understood and what the author intended for them to be communicated is the most important thing. And for you, as you were standing there, let's put yourself in the crowd that day. You're celebrating the birth of a baby. It's eight days later. He, he would have been circumcised. They would have given him his name. And his name is John. And then his father, Zechariah, who hasn't spoken in nine months, prophesies. And as he's prophesying over his son, he starts to turn and he starts to talk about the Messiah. And the terms he's using and the things he's saying would have been things that they would have understood. And they were saying, wait, wait, what, what? This is happening now? And this little baby, this little infant child is going to make way for the Lord, for the Messiah? (laughs) I don't know about you. I've been in the back like, "Uh, so who's that again? And where's he going to be? And how's that going to be? And how is this all going to work? And can you imagine growing up with him in your village or him in your town and maybe him in your family? I don't know. Listen to what he said. Whereby, by the tender mercy of God, whereby the day spring, the day spring, that was a name given to Jesus. So let's talk about this for a minute, this mercy of God part. Through the tender mercy of God. I don't know about you, and I, I don't know your, your upbringing or where you've been, but different people have different views of God. Some people do see him as kind of an angry God that punishes and a, like a, a big mighty fist and, and you make mistakes and he crushes them. Maybe things have happened in your life where they haven't worked out exactly right or maybe, maybe it hasn't turned out the way you thought or maybe you prayed for something and it seemed like an obvious thing, God, do this. I've had those conversations with him. I've stood at the bed of people who are passing or dying and said, God, if you would heal this person right now, there's an entire waiting room that would probably come to Christ. They would come, probably become Christians right now. And as I'm talking to him, I'm, I feel like he's saying to me, yeah, I know, son. I know more than you, though. And I know, I know the beginning to the end. And even though I don't understand sometimes, I, I feel like there's times where for some people, when God doesn't do what they want, when they want, and the way they want, they, they project on him a, a persona that is, is not him. And they look at him as angry and mean and not caring and somebody who didn't do what they wanted when they wanted, and it made so much sense in the moment. And they, they get this twisted view of who he is. Some people, on the other hand, speaking of Christmas, kind of look at God as kind of Santa Claus. You know what I'm talking about, right? This kindly old gentleman who smiles a lot, and you basically ask him for whatever you want. And Even though he says he's going to check the list twice, you pretty much still get the things, right? He just kind of overlooks it, kind of like a kindly grandpa. You know how it is. You know, you send the kids to grandma, grandpa. They give them the candy they're not supposed to eat and hand them a $5 bill or whatever. They didn't earn, didn't get it, right? I want us to see this morning the heart of God. This is the heart of God right here. It says, because of his tender mercy, tender mercy. There's times in the, in the New Testament and here in the Greek where they combine these words, tender mercy. What's interesting about this particular phrase right here, if you dig into it, you could, you could read it like this. It's God's action is motivated by a loving compassion. What, what they did is they actually took some words that if you were to read them in the raw Greek would not make a lot of sense in modern English. It literally talks about the inner parts of God's feelings. So if you get even deeper, it's talking about his inner parts, like bowels. It's weird. But I think you get that. 
I think we do. It's a visceral feeling. Have you felt that way before? Maybe the first time you held your child and you thought, I could never love someone like this before. And then you have another one and you realize you can. You love this one too. There's times where you feel something so deeply inside that it changes and moves you in ways that you didn't realize was possible. You're, you're literally from the inside out, you're feeling this thing. And it changes everything. It changes the way you look at the world and everything. You, you're motivated from such a deep, deep, deep place. You could read it this way. From deep within, he extended mercy. Through the tender mercy of God. I read that and questions for me come to mind. Why? Why? Why did he care like that? I, I mean, you think about God and he, he created us human beings and he gave us this free will and choice. And it was a huge risk. And he gives us this free will and he says... I'm giving you all this, and I, and, and I just want you to follow just a few of these things. And if you do, these, your, your life will be amazing. Every one of these rules are meant to protect and provide for you and give you a good life. And he gives us those things, and then what happens? People violate them, and they, they do what they want, and they, they satisfy their own will. And in some cases, they literally raise their fist and mock him or, and challenge him, and they're angry at him. There's a great verse in the, in the book of Proverbs where it says, people do things and ruin their own lives and then get mad at God. Literally says that in there. What would you do? I mean, if you were God, what would you do to these people? I mean, do you ever wonder like, why he is so graceful and why he extends grace over and over? Do you ever wonder why sometimes he just doesn't say, okay, that's enough, you're done, boom. And maybe some of you are thinking, I... I don't know. But I think you do know. He gives us these moments where we can understand him. We, we can see ourselves in him to a degree. Those of you who have children, you, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe they've done things that got you really upset or, or completely you know, violated something you had said. Or maybe they challenged your authority in a deep way that was super offensive What do you do? Do you banish them? Do you punish them? Do you cancel them? Do you drive them away from your presence? Do you ever feel that love that comes from deep within and a compassion and a desire to see them do well and do right? Maybe you've had a friend who deeply hurt you. Maybe they talked bad about you. Maybe they violated a a secret. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they just abandoned you. And there's part of you that is angry, but then something deep inside values them and that relationship, and you desperately want reconciliation. We'll never be perfect in that, but we also are not God. When I look at that and I say, why? The answer that comes screaming back at me is that he is love. He is love. And because he's love, that never changes. No matter what you do, there's no way you could ever do something that would make him love you less. Now, I know as humans, we're like, well, wait a minute, though. I got a limit. It gets up to here. I'm done. You're dead to me. God doesn't do that. 
what he does is he continually loves. And at some point, he tells everybody, C.S. Lewis said this, he tells everybody, your will be done. And at some point, their will may be to walk away from him forever. But it breaks his heart for that to happen. And because of his compassion and his mercy, this prophecy from, from Zechariah, through the tender mercy of God, we do not deserve it. There's none of us that could deserve it. None of us will ever be good enough. As much as you try, you would never be good enough. Now, some of you are really good, I know. And some of you are better than me. I know that. But regardless, none of us would deserve this compassion from him. He extends this grace. It it really is unmerited favor. You could never earn it. You could never be good enough or try hard enough. It would never happen. And none of us deserve it. Not only do we not deserve it for anything we've done, you don't deserve it for your gender or for your race or for any money you have or special talents or looks or connections. None of that gets this for you. He extends this to all of his children because he loves you. And then that name, the day spring, it literally says this day spring through the tender of mercy God where the day spring from on high hath visited us. What that is, when it talks about day spring, is it's the morning light. And I was kidding around. I put it on our Facebook and put a sunrise picture because I can't tell you how many people say, oh, I'm glad you post sunrise pictures because I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's like they never get up in time to see it. Or maybe they're just busy and getting doing things and they never notice. Because usually a, you know, a good sunrise or even a sunset lasts how long? A few minutes. That's it. It's only there for a minute. But what this word refers to is that light that dawns. So think of it like this. It's the separation from the dark from the light. And you know when the light comes and maybe it's been a long dark night and that that sun dawns and that warmth of the sun breaks through and it separates the dark from the day and, and all of a sudden things that you couldn't see before now you can see clearly. And things that were hidden are now obvious. It's that warmth that returns to the whole earth. There's more to it than that, though. It's very symbolic name. Because what he does is he literally brings light to the darkness. And it doesn't take you very long to notice that the world is a dark place. The division, the, the selfishness, the death, the, the people taking advantage of others, the, the things that happen in our world, it's a dark, evil place. And what he is saying here with this very name given to Jesus is that he will bring light into that dark place. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to live in those days. Now, Rome was relatively peaceful compared to the rest of the world, but it was still a very dangerous place to be. You know, a lot of times we, rom- we, we kind of have this romantic idea about what it had been to live like when Jesus lived. But it's hard to even compare their life to ours thinking about life expectancy and the fact that, you know, simple things couldn't be fixed and, you know, diseases that we deal with with medication and different things are, are, would have been death sentence there. But more importantly, just the fact that we enjoy a relative peace here in this world today. But it's more than the world's darkness. It's your darkness. I think if we're honest and we look inside, we notice that there's darkness in us. We're, we're driven to do things that are wrong. There, Maybe, maybe like you, me, I've, there have been times where an attitude springs up or a word comes to mind or a thought, and I think, where did that come from? I'm not like that. I don't want to be like that. 
but it does come from within me because my heart is not as pure as it should be. In your own darkness, that light can shine. It can, it can make clear the confusion. It can, it can wash away the despair. It can pull you out of depression. It can show you the way. But with that, you realize you can shut the blinds on the light. Here's something about God. He's going to give you that free will. He's going to give you the relationship that you want with him. The more light you want, the more light you'll have. That's what he wants. That theme of light goes in far into the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Look at Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. He's talking there that God's people will be restored spiritually. His righteousness will bring a spiritual healing. Righteousness it itself is a healing act. And in 2 Peter, he says, Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. That's him. He is that light. John, in his, in his gospel, he's, he talks about Jesus being the word. He talks about him being a light that came into the world. He illuminates the dark places in our hearts. It's, it's like cleaning a room with dark corners. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you thought you cleaned it, and then the light shines in a certain way. You're like, oh my goodness. I had this experience once years ago. I was a youth pastor, and there was a guy in our church that had a rental house, and he asked if any kids needed money and that, um, that the, he needed the house painted. And so um, the, the renters who were there had left, and so I got one of the students, a really good kid, and he'd never done any work like that. And so most of the time was spent helping him stay in the lines and put tape down and paint and whatever. And what, it, what had happened was um, he had turned the power off for a time. You can do that in California. It's not a big deal. Um, so we were painting, but we didn't have full light. And then when he turned the power back on... It realized we had done a horrible job. It was horrible. It was just horrible. And we had to repaint the entire thing. But it looked really good in the dark. <laughs> or dim light. I mean, it wasn't dark, but it was dim, you know. That's what Jesus does. He illuminates all the dark places. No matter who you are, we've got those. And if you're honest with him and you open your heart to him, what he does is he comes in and he, he not only cleans that, he purifies it. Light is also purifying. And as he does that, he shows you, hey, these are things that need to be changed and things that need to be worked on. And if your heart is open to him, he comes in and he does that. And he does that out of compassion. That's who he is. So you've got this day spring. You've got the sun of righteousness. You've got the morning star. And in Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus calls himself. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. But here's the problem. Some things, they like the dark. They want to stay in the dark. It's just how it is. When I was a kid and we lived in the Philippines, we lived off base for quite a while and our carport, we'd, we'd be at something, at, maybe at church or something, and come in at night. And I loved when this would happen. I always, I always get up on the edge of my seat to watch it, because as we drove in the carport, it would be just completely pitch black. And then as the headlights hit it, all these flying cockroaches would go, 
<laughs> and my mom would say, I'm not getting out of the car. <laughs> I am not walking out there. Some things like to be in the dark. Have you noticed that? There's some parts of our lives we don't want illuminated and we don't want anybody to know. I think of it like this. If Christ were to come into your, let's, let's just imagine your home was your, your heart and you would invite him in. Maybe you've done this too where you walk in and, and uh, he's like, hey, show me your house. And you got that one room where you threw everything. You know, you're in a hurry and you had a few things. You just toss them in there and you shut that door and you're showing him everything. You're like, yeah, not this door. Our hearts. When the light comes in, you can see everything clearly. He offers that freedom to the world. Now, a lot of times the world's not ready for that. And, and quite frankly, the light can be disturbing to people because they don't want to be that open and honest with anybody let alone with the creator himself. But he does that because he cares and he loves you. It's out of compassion. The third thing it says is that he will guide our way to peace. To peace. He gives you peace. And he guides you there. Notice that this time of year can be very difficult for people. He guides you to peace. I want to read to you the 23rd Psalm. I don't want you to quote it. I want you to just listen for a second. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads you in paths of righteousness because that's the best thing for you. And it's healing and restorative. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pastor Nick, if you could guide me up here, or join me up here. Here's the thing. You have to let him guide you into that place of peace. He doesn't force us. Because you can stay in conflict and you can stay in darkness. You can keep those things as part of your life. Or you can choose to let him illuminate that and work on and fix those things. You can choose that. You can stay angry. You can stay in unforgiveness. You can do that. Or you can turn down all that and you can let the light in. And that light as it comes in... It will change everything. You can let him guide you into peace. I know it's a stressful time of year, and it's stressful for a lot of reasons. I mean, you're buying gifts, and you want to get the right one, and will they like it? And, and hopefully no one else gives it to them before you do. And Family, will they show up? Will they argue? And are the decorations good enough? I mean, will people like them? Will they compliment? Will they notice them? Then you've got to get the house ready, and maybe you've got to travel, and all the details that go in with travel. It all, it works like this. The first thing you need is to let that light in. And what, when you do, it comes down to this. Will you have right relatedness with God? Will you allow that relationship to be pure and holy and clean? Will you let that light in? Are things good between you and him? Are you at peace with him? You choose that. How's your communication with him? How's your time together? The second thing is right relatedness with people. 
tough sometimes because you can't control them. You can only control you. But is that relationship right? And have you done everything you can to make it right? Forgiveness, grace, tolerance, giving, all those things. The next thing is you choose what to let in your spirit. Are you going to let it be filled with light? Again, you can't change others. You can change you. And you can determine what music comes in, what media comes in, how much your phone or TV comes in, other people. You choose that. The last thing is this. Jesus is the light, but then we spread the light with our attitude and our words and our actions and what we do, what we don't do. You let, it, you let that light in. You let him change you. And then you become the light. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a minute here. I do this because it gives us kind of a sense of privacy in a room full of people. And you watch it online, you can shut your eyes too. And I'm going to ask you just a couple questions. My first question is really the most important question you'll ever answer. And that is, have you let that light in? That the day spring came to change everything. But you have to let him in. And maybe you're here today and you've never really let him in. Or maybe you're watching online and you haven't let him in. I'm just asking a simple question. Do you want to let him in today? Simple. And if that's you and you want to let him in today, I just want you to raise your hands. We can pray with you. It's just a simple thing. If you're watching online, you can respond in the chat or email us. For those of us still here in the room and watching online, my next question is, is more of a rhetorical one, but I'm going to ask this. Is there a room maybe that you're not letting him in or maybe have you chosen to close the blinds in such a way that that light of the world is not illuminating your life the way it should? I want us to be ready for Christmas. To me, the best way we can be ready for Christmas is that we, we have a relationship with God that transcends everything else. And it defines every other relationship. I want that so desperately. And I know you do too. So we're going to close the service this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to be available to pray with anybody who wants prayer for whatever reason down front after the service. But I want to dismiss you and I want to pray for you. That God would not only that you would let his light shine in you, but then that you would shine it to everybody you encounter. Let me pray with you. Father, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that you chose to give your son, that you chose for that day spring to come into our world and to illuminate the darkness, not only in the world, but in our hearts this morning. And I pray, God, that you would help us to let all of that light in and that that light would change everything that we are, everything we think, everything we do, every attitude that we would be completely clean and open before you. God, that's what we want. And then I pray as we walk out of this room that we would be a, literally a light to everybody we encounter, that their lives would be different because we are taking your light to them. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you're staying for the, that tax seminar, you're, you're welcome to go on into the crown room. And again, if you did not register, you're still welcome to join us. And we'll be with you in just a moment.